2: Hey, listeners, we just want to offer a quick clarification for our continued chat with Raquel about transgender issues that we had our talk before Caitlyn Jenner came out publicly as
3: Caitlyn. That's right. And so we mentioned Bruce Jenner in the interview. We use the he and him pronouns because, like Kristen said, this was before Caitlyn announced that she was indeed Caitlyn Jenner.
0: Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You, from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to
2: the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And we are back today with trans activist, writer, and friend, Raquel Willis, to talk about transgender representation on TV. And Caroline, I'm just going to toss out a name. Let's do a little free association. Laverne Cox. Awesome. Amazing. Yeah. Gorgeous. Yeah. Everywhere. All the time. Changing the world. Yeah, magazine covers, man. Yeah. Orange is the New Black. Hello. Hello. Sophia. So good. <laughs> I'm only going to speak in staccato phrases from here on out.
3: <laughs> yeah. Um Well, I mean, the reason that Laverne Cox is so awesome and that we're going to be speaking a lot about her today and the Laverne Cox effect is that it's not only that she's playing real warm-blooded, actual people on TV, but she's using her incredible platform for good. This woman has not only starred in TV shows like Orange is the New Black, but she's also behind the camera producing documentaries featuring the lives of trans teens out there in the world who are just trying to get by as well, and so she's an incredibly important figure to talk about.
2: Yeah, I mean, speaking of documentaries, she just won a Daytime Emmy for producing the MTV documentary Laverne Cox Presents The T-Word, which Raquel's going to talk about a little bit more later in the show. And the thing about Laverne Cox, too, is that she well understands, not surprisingly, the typecasting of trans characters so we focused on a lot in uh, our last episode. Uh, you know, before she got her big break, she did have to play a number of a sex worker. She did have the the brief uh, characters in Law and Order, as like we mentioned in the last episode, as the, did pretty much every A list character today. And she also, though, in terms of. Using her platform and being an openly trans woman in Hollywood, she made history as the first openly transgender woman nominated for an Emmy last year for Orange is the New Black. And in addition to Orange is the New Black, she's made guest appearances on The Mindy Project, Faking It, and Girlfriend's Guide to Divorce. And she recently wrapped a pilot for CBS called Doubt, in which she plays a lawyer wearing lots of uh, cool pantsuits, and I'm definitely excited to see it. And, And of course, Laverne Cox isn't the only example of rising transgender visibility that we've seen in the past 12 months.
3: Yeah, And so, of course, in addition to Laverne
2: Cox, you've got the wonderful
3: Janet Mock, who has her show on MSNBC. She did a fabulous interview with Oprah. Um, but, of course, we also have the news that sort of took over the entire Internet for a little while, which was the Bruce Jenner interview with Diane Sawyer. 17 million people tuned in to watch that, and Jenner's own personal docuseries is coming to the E! Network in July of 2015.
2: Yeah, and then you have Scott Turner, who also briefly took over the internet with news um, when he became Daytime TV's first openly trans actor and playing a trans character, notably as well, on The Bold and the Beautiful. And then you also have projects like Becoming Us, which is in the pipeline for ABC Family, which is focusing on a fictional teen dealing with a parent's transition, which sounds kind of like Transparent on Amazon from maybe one of the kids' perspectives. But as we're going to talk about with Raquel more in depth today, while it's incredible to see the pace of... How this trans visibility has really permeated pop culture, you know, into mainstream middle America, there's still a long way to go. And we just want to briefly talk about this 2012 study that GLAAD conducted looking at the representation of transgender characters in TV and film and Nick Adams, who's the director of the transmedia program at GLAAD, said, there's a perception that there's been an explosion of transgender characters on TV, but when you look at the numbers, that's not true. And he was telling that to Variety magazine. Yeah, and Adams goes on to talk about how, according to the GLAD survey,
3: only one show on broadcast TV, that's not Netflix, that's not Amazon, that's broadcast TV, currently features a trans regular, and that's The Bold and the Beautiful. And not a single studio movie last year had a prominent trans character.
2: Yeah, and and digging a little deeper into that study, which analyzed... Film and television over the last 10 years, the survey found that more than half of trans characters depicted on TV were portrayed in a negative light and were problematic in various kinds of ways. So, for instance, 40% of the time you saw a trans character on television in the past 10 years, they were cast in a victim kind of role. Uh, At least 21% of the time, they were cast as killers Or villains. And and the the victim and the killer stereotypes were things that we touched on, too, in our last episode. Because these are some of the common tropes that trans characters tend to be tossed into.
3: Yeah, and actually the most common profession that we saw trans characters in was that of sex workers. 20% of those character depictions were working as sex workers. And, of course, uh, there were plenty of storylines, at least 61% of the catalogued episodes, that included anti-trans
2: slurs, language, and dialogue in the episode. Now, I would be curious to see what would happen if they adjusted their data set to include 2013, 14 and 15, because I have a feeling that the numbers would change in a positive way. But still, as we're going to talk to Raquel about nonetheless, even where we are right now today in mid 2015, again, more progress needs to be made because there's still in, in all of the media coverage about it in the way even that networks talk about. Uh, these kinds of characters or these entire kinds of shows like ABC Families Becoming Us, there's this novelty factor attached to it of like, oh, well, we're going to be a little bit new and different and show this storyline that you've never really seen before, Mm -hmm. which kind of, I don't know, it, it still is othering in a way. Right.
3: Yeah, it still can be othering. And I mean, that raises the question of, you know, are we in a very hopeful manner working toward Really wonderful trans visibility and trans representation, or are we eventually beyond that working toward well, yeah, there's just a trans character on that show. yeah, there I mean, they're just that's just XYZ character like cool. there's yeah. no need, need to call it out necessarily. It's just known and accepted kind of like, oh well, if there's a, a lesbian on the cast, like, oh well, yeah, that's just a lesbian character. that's just Stacy right. and so it will be interesting to watch uh, as we go through through the years how how quickly because it does seem like things have accelerated in the past couple of years like you said and so it will be interesting to see how quickly we get to a point where it's like oh yeah that's just that's just that character
2: yeah because i think the the litmus test is really going to be like you said when we end up with these shows and these characters where their biological sex that they were born with that their physical anatomy that their Transition isn't constantly the focus of every single thing. That they that their gender identity isn't seen as the primary conflict in the show. Mm -hmm. So let's get back to our conversation with Raquel because she has lots of helpful insights on all of this to offer. I
3: want to now talk about the TV show Transparent. I mean, it's been a huge hit. It's made all of these waves in the media. But a lot of people have raised the issue online, especially that uh, it might be problematic for cis actors to be cast in trans roles. Do you think that this is a problem or just do you think it depends on the actor who's in the role? Like everything else,
4: I think it's complex. <laughs> <laughs> um I would definitely say that I personally would love to see more trans actors fulfilling roles of trans characters, just because I'm all about authentic portrayals, right? And it's just as when people have issues with white people playing characters of a different race, that's kind of where I stand. But then I also know that the other side of the argument is, well... Neil Patrick Harris plays straight characters, so why can't he play a woman? And the thing is, is that there's so much of this fascination on the trans experience as what you were born as, right? That And that's what it is, is people want to define people based on their birth sex and not define them based on what they tell you they identify as, Mm -hmm. what they actually live as, um... And that's the problem that I have, right, is that I don't think that cis people have as much of a say in in what would be a healthy portrayal of a trans character because you're not transgender. It's very different. And I get with Transparent the... The main argument for having Jeffrey Tambor in this position is that they're showing a person pre-transition and then actually... During a huge bulk of their transition period. So I get the point that people are trying to make with that. But I think it's very harmful when we say that men can play women and men can play trans women because it just plays into that whole man in a dress trope. And people don't want to critically consider why it's okay for a trans woman to just be a woman and not be defined by all of this assumed history Mm -hmm. of where she comes from and of what she looked like and of what surgery she may have had or have not had.
2: Yeah, I mean, when it comes to Jeffrey Tambor, too, he at least has... Been far more widely praised for not only his portrayal, but also in his, um, like during awards season with his acceptance speeches of acknowledging the trans community. And I think he has at least shown more self awareness in terms of this cis trans, um, like issue that a lot of people raise compared to Jared Leto. We had to mention Jared Leto, um, who alienated Trans people, and a lot of cis people too, frankly, um, in his role in Dallas Buyers Club, which some people said where it was like far too tropey, but it was more so his apparent trans ignorance during award season, like when he won, uh, the Golden Globe, when he won his Oscar, there was like no mention whatsoever, and even at one point, him just joking about having to get a body wax. So I guess at least, at least with Jeffrey Tambor, it's better than Jared Leto, although that is a horrible standard, the Jared better than Jared Leto should not be the standard, obviously. But I wonder, too, how much of a difference it would make if we had a trans person who's behind the camera. I mean, it's something we've talked about in terms of portrayals of of women in film, where a lot of times if you have men writing all the roles, like the women aren't always portrayed so authentically. So, and I think this is something that Janet Mock has brought up before as well. It's like, well, if we were making and directing these roles, obviously we would be casting them differently too.
4: Definitely, definitely. I I think there needs to be a whole entire uprooting of how we've been targeting these storylines, right? I think we need trans people in front and behind the camera. I think we need trans people in the writing room. And I will say, at least on TransParents and Jill Soloway, the creator, she did hire a trans writer for the next season, so there will be a trans writer. And... At least to be fair, she does have a lot of trans characters and ensemble roles in the show. So she's really trying to make up for the fact that the main character is portrayed by a cis man. And and I wholeheartedly... Give her a round of applause for that, because that's that's really awesome that at least when she's getting these critiques, she's using them to try and make this a better experience and a better portrayal. The only thing I I will say is that at the end of the day, this is still a trans narrative portrayed through a cisgender lens, right? She is still, even if it's coming from a place of... Authenticity on the end of having a parent who is trans, I still would rather hear it from her now mother's perspective, right? I would rather hear it from the source instead of filtered through a cisgender lens. And the other thing, then, too, is I also, just to put this in context, a lot of times I speak about Race, because I think people kind of get that a little bit more, and I liken it to how we're targeting, uh, transgender roles, but I liken it to the help, right? There was a lot of critique on having a white woman tell this story about black women in the 60s, right? There's a problem with that, right? When narratives are co-opted when the source isn't really present at any step of the way.
2: Well, and in the case of The Help too, where you have the white narrator also playing the part of a
1: white savior, mm-hmm. which only really complicates matters, right? <laughs> <laughs> this episode of Stuff I Never Told You is brought to you by Catan. This year is the 25th anniversary of Catan. Get Catan at com slash mom. Listeners of the podcast get 10% off the original base game Catan by using the promo code MOM at checkout. Offer not good on other Catan titles or merchandise. This episode of Stuff Mom Never Told You is brought to you by HelloFresh.
3: Well, so it seems like going back into TV history, <laughs> the very limited TV history that we have uh, in recent years of trans characters on TV, it seems like we're way more likely to see trans women than we are trans men. Like going back to Candace Kane being on a couple different TV shows and Rebecca Romaine playing a trans woman on Ugly Betty. Um, why, why, what's up with, with the lack of trans men on TV? It's
4: complex. (laughs) (laughs) That's the title of this episode. Right. Well, I definitely think we have to consider that a lot of times it goes back to what's happening behind the scenes. A lot of the media we're producing is still being created for the male lens, right? For the male gaze. And... When you think about women, femininity, and womanhood, you think about how sexualized it is. And so trans women for a long time have really been relegated to pornography, have been relegated to sex work, because they were locked out of different positions. Only now are we seeing trans women who are creating tech companies and winning awards for roles that... Aren't porn related? Let's be real about it. So I think a lot of it has to do with how sexualized trans women are, um, and how when we think about trans men within society, a lot of times we're we're seeing people considering them trying to take on that male privilege, right? And that's not what it's about. This is just someone who's trying to live their life as authentically as anybody else. It's not about trying to take on male privilege. It's not about trying to take up space as a man. The thing is is that that isn't seen as being palatable to the male gaze, right? That's not seen as as someone trying to be consumed, right? But whereas with trans women, we automatically are seen as trying to be consumed, trying to be seen as sexually viable options for cisgender straight men, and that's not the case.
2: Well, and there also seems to be this persistent fascination, even going back to the days where the closest you got to a trans portrayal was like a cross-dressing punchline, There seems to be this fascination with the idea that a, you know, a a biological male at some point would want to give all that up in terms of privilege (laughs) and like take on a female identity. That seems so to just in the way that, like you were talking about in terms of the focus on how cis actors playing trans roles constantly puts the focus back on, well, what was your, you know, your assigned uh, sex at birth? Like, it always takes it back to that. There seems to be this thing, particularly in terms of trans women, of this, like, mind-blowing idea that that could ever cross someone's mind to want to be a woman. Right. I definitely
4: think a lot of it has to do with This very fragile construct of masculinity that we have within our society, right? Trans women are seen as a threat. It's seen as, if you're going to transition into a woman, well, what does that mean for me? Does that mean that my identity is not as rigid and maybe I'm not... But I am, so you're wrong, and I have to completely X your narrative out of the conversation, right?
2: Well, and then, too, on top of that, and we see this, um, we've seen this in film, and also sometimes um, in more problematic TV representations as well of the whole deception element, because talking about that, like, fragile masculinity and heteronormativity, to throw out all of my words... um, there's that panic of, well, wait a second. If I'm a straight guy and I'm attracted to you and you're a trans woman, well, does that make me gay? World comes crushing down. You know, there, there is that, it seems like there's that fear in the background of like, but, but what, what does that mean about, it's so self-focused like, but what does your identity
4: mean about my identity? <laughs> right. And, and that's, really how it is with every marginalized group, right? If women want to be breadwinners and and have jobs and and do all of these things early on and even still now, men were like, well, what does that mean for me? Does that mean I'm not as strong? Does that mean I'm not as intellectual? Does that mean I'm not as amazing as I thought I was? (laughs) So I think that's very true And, and it is important for us to also discuss the homophobia right it's like even if you were a gay dude like it's fine but we see straight men having to constantly prove that they are the stereotypical definition of masculine that they fit into the right box so we see straight men having to constantly prove their identity to us. So the interesting thing is that none of us are really that different after all, right? We're all having to assert this box to the general public of who we are. And the interesting thing to me is that people think that trans people are so fringe, are so different. But we're just out here trying to survive and and grow and build our dreams and aspirations like anybody else, right? We're not trying to threaten anyone's identity. We're not out here trying to make anyone feel necessarily uncomfortable. We're just living.
2: And I do think, though, it's notable that that fear of deception does not seem to exist at all among the cis, straight, female community in terms of like there's not this like am I going to be attracted to a trans man at some point in my life and then will my world come crumbling down I just and I'm not entirely I mean obviously it relates back to what we're talking about in terms of masculinity constructs but um, and I don't have any like deep insight into why why that is maybe because there is more of this general acceptance of female sexuality is just being more fluid you know, we're more—we're into bonding, we're into emotions. We're not, maybe, so, um, so insecure in that. I'm yes. asking, stating that as a question, up talk. Well, I mean, there's there's less of a cultural idea of like
3: a woman having to prove her femininity by dating a like super masculine person. You know, it's it's way more of a cultural thing that like the man, like you were saying, Raquel, like the man has to prove that he's super masculine. He's got to date like somebody who's super feminine. Um, I'm, I apologize for my, for my fake male voice. <laughs> I know men don't talk like this. Um, <laughs> not all men, but yeah, I just wonder if like culturally women kind of get off the hook that way in terms of like, it's not a it's not a thing as much really in our cultural conversation about a woman who, like a cis woman falling in love with a trans man. It doesn't seem like, oh, but, well, but I have to prove that I'm
2: super feminine. Well, because it doesn't take a particular kind of presentation for a woman to be objectified. Like, that's just how... It is, hence, us doing this podcast and talking about it all the time. Mm-hmm. Because that is, if I can run down the road as I do when I go jogging and be disgusting and red-faced and sweaty and in old running clothes and still have, you know, sexual comments yelled my way, hello.
4: that That's very true. And you'll find, if you look around, there are so many... Stories about trans men and cis women dating and, and how amazing that is, but you rarely find as many trans women and cis men out about their relationships. There's shame around a a man being attracted to a trans woman.
3: But yet we see so many more trans women
2: on TV and in movies. And yet their romantic plot lines are often problematized because of being trans. That was something we read a whole paper about this, where romance is always the conflict because of exactly what you're talking about.
4: Right, definitely. I think it's interesting that we've seen a lot of trans women characters, at least, in these main roles, but still their validation and their identity is so contingent on the the men in their lives, right? We will still see a main character of a trans woman put down and really dismissed as an actual viable romantic or sexual option just because of her trans status. So you are perfectly right that a lot of times romance is something that's not seen as a possibility. Well, and and when it comes to
2: attraction in general too, it seems like pop culturally, all of the a lot of these representations also, are still heteronormative to the point of assuming that the tr- that trans women are exclusively attracted to men too. I mean, there there's so many different layers to it. There's so much conflating too of gender identity and sexual orientation. Like, clearly, we even though we were seeing more and more. Of these characters and having trans icons like Laverne Cox, you know, really becoming household names, we still have a lot to learn.
4: Right. And that's why I think the Orange and the New Black narrative is very important. At least early on, we see Laverne Cox's character, Sophia Bursette, and her wife. Making it, right? At least trying to make this happen. But again, her wife is not a lesbian. And so that did problematize their storyline. But at the very least, we see her still loving the person that Sophia is.
3: Yeah, but then you also see Sophia continue on in the show as a Regular human character who has problems and joys and sadness, just like all of the other characters on the show. Her story isn't built solely upon that relationship with her wife. Um, She's more multifaceted than that, which I think is something something worth celebrating, that it doesn't just stop with like, oh, well, you know, she uh, transitioned and the relationship broke up and let's judge her because of that. There was there's so much more to her character, which is good to see. And so then that leads me to the question of what you think about this whole Laverne Cox effect, especially across sort of across media in general, and why you think that she has had such a bigger cultural influence than someone like Candace Kane, who was sort of a pioneer in
4: TV. I think Laverne Cox was very unique because as soon as she hit the scene, she made a point to talk about trans issues, right? Talking about issues that are real. Talking about people like Cece McDonald, the trans woman from Minneapolis who she killed her attacker in self-defense because he was throwing racist and transphobic slurs at her and her friends and attacking them. You see her talking about the trans woman Elon Nettles who was killed by an attacker in a hate crime right outside of a police station and no one really did anything about it. So, Laverne Cox deserves all of the credit that she gets because she has taken her platform and used it for goodwill towards all trans people. She literally talks about the hard-hitting issues that affect us. She talks about disenfranchisement. She talks about lack of adequate housing and health care and discrimination in terms of trying to find housing. So she's hitting all of these marks, and that is why she's become such a cultural figure.
2: Well, speaking of Laverne Cox, too, um one of her Projects outside of Orange is the New Black is a documentary on trans teens that she oversaw for MTV. And that made me think about perhaps differences in more reality types of programming versus scripted. And I was wondering if you've seen any kinds, uh, any ways in which maybe in reality, on reality TV, are trans characters allowed to be more themselves or are they still subject to a lot of these tropes that scripted television is only finally now slowly breaking out of?
4: I definitely think with reality TV it is breaking away from these scripts that are often written by people who don't really know about the trans experience, may not even actually know a trans person and probably won't even cast a trans person, so let's not even go there, but I definitely think reality TV, at least on the documentary front, is helping us see literally realistic portrayals of trans people. And The T-Word, which is the documentary that she did, I mean, it's phenomenal and it does... Let people know that trans people come in all ages, right? You know, trans people aren't necessarily just transitioning at 60 like Bruce Jenner. Trans people are teens. Trans people are kids like Jazz Jennings, the 14-year-old who's about to have her own reality show on TLC. I mean, we're everywhere, and it's great to see that being acknowledged. And I also want to say, I think, the other interesting thing about Laverne Cox is that she does not shy away from talking about trans issues. I think, and don't quote me on this, I'm not completely sure, but I think with people like Candace Kane and trans women before her who were pioneers, a lot of it was about passing mm-hmm. and not letting on so much that you were trans, right? And just trying to be seen as a normal person and then cisgender was considered normal right? We didn't even have the term cisgender because it was like normal people and trans people yeah. but now people like Laverne Cox people like Janet Mock are like just as I am a black person, just as I am a woman, I am a transgender woman. It is just one other descriptor of me as anything else. I will educate you as much as I can, but it is not, not all that there is to me.
3: Yeah. it's It's wanting to be seen for who you are. Not wanting people to stop at their own preconceived notions of what you're supposed to be. And that's, I mean, that's true of anybody, though. You just want to be seen for who you are. But then, I mean, speaking more on the reality show front on, and specifically about Bruce Jenner, what was your take on on the interview? I mean, social media, like, exploded.
4: Social media was all over that story. I am kind of shocked, right, that so many people are or at least had been talking about the Bruce Jenner interview. And so many people watched it. I mean, it was one of the highest rated ABC specials in a long time. And it's great, right? Because I think that Bruce Jenner was very down to earth with his approach. And I'm using he, him, because he said that that was okay, at least at this point in the interview. But I saw him using a realistic Approach. I saw him making sure to not make a spectacle of his situation. A lot of it was, and this is problematic on one hand, but necessary. It was abating the fears that people had, right? It was abating the fact that people see being trans as this crazy, rebellious thing to do within our society. But it's not. It's just a fact of life for some people. And I thought it was also great that... He at least had these little segments of the interview that did talk about other trans people. It did talk about marginalization for other trans people who aren't wealthy and well to do and aren't cultural figures like he is, right? He on some level acknowledged that he had a privilege to even have this platform to use his story to educate people and to inspire other people. Mm-hmm. The only thing is that I hope we will see more trans people being able to tell their stories in that way and be able to lift that veil a little bit more because, again, that is a singular story. That is one person's story, one trans person's story. That is not how it is for everyone who is trans. And I hope most of the people understood that.
2: Well, do you think that this is positioning him as a trans
4: icon? I think yes. Unfortunately, I think a lot of times the larger society gets to choose who the icons for the marginalized groups are, right? Because you see that with people immortalizing MLK. Yes, MLK was a brilliant guy for the black community, but he was not the only guy. You know, you never hear people talk about people like Malcolm X as much as they talk about people like MLK. You never hear them talking about Angela Davis as much as they talk about MLK. And, and so... I wonder if people will talk about Bruce Jenner in the future more than they talk about someone like Laverne Cox, someone like Janet Mock. And it's almost unfair on two hands because it it completely outshines all of the work that people like Laverne Cox and Janet Mock have been doing since the beginning of their media careers and it's unfair to Bruce Jenner to put all of this weight on his shoulder when he's really just starting his transition right the expectation to be a spokesperson and an educator just because you fit within an identity is unfair and I think a lot of times trans people have been forced to educate people around them when it's like, look, you have Google now. <laughs> like, you can look up some of this one on one stuff and not ask me all of these questions.
3: Well yeah, I mean I think you see that uh in interviews both with Janet Mock and Laverne Cox who were like, listen you know, if you want to talk about things like the actual ins and outs of the transition and the surgery, like let's' we'll, we can talk offline. you can again use the Google, but it's like there's a bigger story at hand than just like the actual physical stuff
2: well, and imagine you and I sitting here, Caroline, to cisgender straight women, like how bananas it seems to to have to if we were to have to explain our. Bodies, what was under our clothes, and what is in our minds, and what our like sexual orientation was, every few days, constantly, just be like, no, 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 no. So the here's the breakdown. This is me. Like we get to just live our lives. Yeah. We don't have to like go through all of those things. No one, no one is waiting for us to be the spokesperson of cis people. Yeah. Because that doesn't, you know, we we just accept it as as it is. Yeah. Well, moving forward, Raquel, pulling it back to trans representations on TV, clearly we've made progress, but clearly there's still lots of progress that can be made. So I'm just wondering, near ideal night, you're sitting down, you're relaxing, you turn on the TV, what kinds of trans characters would you like to see on TV? What kinds of roles would you love to
4: see portrayed by trans actors? I guess I'm more concerned right now, at least, seeing trans people period, out in the world in real life, in more positions, right? Having more access, having to not worry about basic things like which bathroom to use and whether they will be allowed to use the restroom comfortably. I would like to see trans people not worrying about finding a safe school that they can attend and being validated in their identities and not have to worry about that. I want to see trans people being able to be lawyers and politicians and doctors without all of this baggage on where they came from. And that mirrors what I would like to see on television, right? I would love to see a trans Ally McBeal as just the Ally McBeal character and not have to worry as much about... Where she came from and how she knew she was trans and all of these one-on-one questions. I want to get beyond the basics. Get literally get beyond the label of transgender and and talk about what it just means to just exist in this world. Right. It, it's interesting to me that everything has to be. Literally black and white. It has to be cis and trans. Why can't we just have holistic narratives to begin with? Why can't we have The Office with a main transgender character and it not be a huge deal? Why can't we have a show like Girls have a a trans woman in a main role or I mean, we're still fighting to have racial representations in main roles. It it just boggles my mind that people can't think beyond having an all black cast or an all white cast or an all this cast just mix it up people <laughs>
3: well especially since you know there's the argument of like well I just you know I just write what I know and oh I was I only have white people or, or cis women in my group of friends so that's all I'm going to write about and it's like well you do realize that this is television which is a made up land and you can have any type of character that you so choose to include and so it's like come on like let's get on the diversity bandwagon here and 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 recognize that it's not only okay, but but wonderful and ultimately super beneficial to show different types of stories. Right.
4: And it's funny. It's like you're doing more work than you have to, right? Because you have to make your storylines that much more off the beaten path and that much more over the top because you don't have basic diverse representation right you could easily make a character who doesn't look like you interact with a character who might look like you and that's your drama right they are yeah. people that is that is the beauty of art this is an art right you know Think beyond all of this. I know you encounter people of color. I know you encounter trans people, especially in the positions that these people are creating media. You encounter so many types of people that the regular people like me don't encounter. encounter. You probably encountered a trans person before I encountered a trans person. And I do
2: think that this kind of diversity and showing these kinds of holistic stories, as you talk about, matters so much more on TV than, say, compared to film, because that is what is in everyone's homes. And those are the stories that we gather around every night. And you know, film is important too. Obviously, we've talked about representation in film before, but film takes so much more time and money to produce, and it's not as accessible for everybody. But I, I feel like you know Laverne Cox and Orange is the New Black had such a moment because everyone I knew was watching it and couldn't stop watching it and they were tweeting about it and posting about it. And if you weren't up to speed, it was all spoiler alerts. I mean it like was social life for a while so TV is such 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 a powerful medium and and that drives on the point even more to not be dismissive if you're a creator to just say well just writing what I know doing my best no you're not
4: Right. I mean, if people are out here making sci-fi films and sci-fi shows and and we've got X-Men mutants and, and superheroes and all of these different characters. And Game of Thrones. Right. And Game of Thrones. Like, why can't we just... I'm just asking for... An office trans person <laughs> to just walk in and, and share their story and that be it. I'm not asking for the world. I'm not af- and I'm not necessarily asking you to definitely include a trans person, right? But when you do include it, when you do include a trans person, at least make it real. At least make it a real role, a real characterization.
2: Well, speaking of that, then, Raquel, what would you recommend to our listeners as a show or a specific character or a film that is a good example of exactly what you're talking about so that we can help educate our our listeners even more as well?
4: Well, I would definitely say, first of all, if you have not seen Orange is the New Black, come out from under that rock (laughs) and get into it. Laverne Cox knocks it out of the ballpark. It's great. Transparent is fine. Um, I I definitely think that it is a fairly good representation, not going into the fact that the cis man is playing a trans woman. And then I actually would recommend this movie called Gun Hill Road. It starred a trans woman named Harmony Santana, a young trans-Latina actress. It was a very good down-to-earth portrayal. And she was low-income, but she wasn't a tragic character. So that was a very good movie. And I would recommend the... The T-word documentary that Laverne Cox did. A lot of Laverne Cox on this list. Clearly she's awesome. But it was, it was very great. It, it really showed what it's like to be a trans teen. And, and I would just say stay tuned. It seems like there, there are a lot of good trans narratives that are coming out in the media soon. There's all that jazz featuring Jazz Jennings, the 14-year-old girl who actually is a spokesperson for I think it's clean and clear now and she was in this huge media campaign for them. But that will be coming out this summer. A lot of other things will be coming out this summer. So just stay tuned. Awesome.
3: Well, thanks so much for talking to us, Raquel. So, uh, you know, we did mention a couple of times that you're, you're, you're all over the internet. So could you tell our listeners where they can find out more about your writing and and what you're up to?
4: Sure. So I have a blog called consciousnessraising.tumblr.com. I post all of my writings there. I've been writing on medium.com also and the Huffington Post. I have a blog on there. So there are a couple of different things there. And I also started a YouTube channel not too long ago called Beyond the Label. And I talk a lot about trans issues, Um but I'm also... Talking about intersectional feminist issues, too, and and race and all that good stuff. So, you can check that out as well. Well,
2: Raquel, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking to us and hanging out with us and just being rad. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. So now, once again, we want to hear from you on this topic of trans representations on TV. And I know that we have transgender men and women in our audience, and we especially would love to hear from you and get your first person uh, opinion on all of this stuff that's happening on the big screen and the small screen. and. We want to know what kinds of characters that you're especially drawn to or characters that you would prefer to never, ever see again. Let us know. MomStuff at HowStuffWorks.com is our email address. You can also tweet us at Podcast or message us on Facebook. And we've got a couple of messages to share with you right now. This
0: episode is brought to you by Quip. When's the last time you got rewarded for brushing your teeth? With Quip's new Smart Electric Toothbrush, good habits can earn you great perks like free products, gift cards, and more.
1: The Quip Smart Brush for adults and kids connects to the Quip app with Bluetooth, so you can track when you're brushing, get tips, you can earn points, and you can redeem those points for rewards. Already have a Quip? Upgrade it with a smart motor and keep the
0: features you know and love. And beyond the brush, Quip has everything you need to build a complete routine equal-friendly solar battery charger to power your equip with sunshine, and the Refresh bag to bring you good oral care habits everywhere you go.
1: Plus, you can get brush head, toothpaste, and floss refills delivered from $5. And shipping is free. How smart is that? Start
0: getting rewards for brushing your teeth today and go to getquip.com slash stuffmom right now to get your first refill free. That is your first refill free at getquip.com slash stuffmom. Spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash stuffmom. Quip, better oral health made simple and rewarding. This episode is brought to you by China. The China brand provides premium disposable tableware to celebrate moments of togetherness.
1: Yes. And right now that is more important than ever, especially when we're all apart. So recently I had a group and we had a a socially distanced barbecue where the host drew out circles and chalk that were six feet apart. And there are classic white products that can work for any gathering or cut crystal plates and cups when you want to make something a little extra special. Disposable tableware keeps things simple and cleanup easy. net products are available wherever you buy groceries including delivery or pickup. <laughs>
3: Okay, well, I have a letter here from Jessica about the interview we did with Nina McLaughlin, author of Hammerhead and Carpenter Extraordinaire. And Jessica writes, It was so much fun to hear a positive, insightful woman talking about her experience. I heartily agree with her about the unparalleled satisfaction attained by building something lasting. I grew up working in a construction company and dancing classical ballet. These two disparate passions have given my life a highly gendered and deeply rewarding contrast. In college, I even did a performance art piece about the tension this has created in my concept of femaleness. After college, I ran my own construction company and later my own ballet school. I now work in sales for an international adhesives and building materials manufacturing company. Being in the trades in many different positions has led me to conceal my gender at times for various reasons. As a boss, I hired a gender nonconforming person as a helper, as well as a cisgendered person, which is made for a wonderfully diverse crew. I have done everything from excavation to roofing, masonry and tile, electrical, plumbing, sheetrock and taping, siding, framing and structural renovation, mostly because I enjoyed working with my father more than my brothers did and chose to go to work with him year after year. Eventually, he had me work as a sort of foreman, overseeing projects and running crews, managing subs when he couldn't be there. I later learned about landscaping and agriculture, doing both for work because I enjoy working with my hands, working hard and making things beautiful. I now use both my undergrad degree in international comparative studies and my experience in construction in my current job as an architectural sales rep, although I miss the deep satisfaction and accomplishment, not to mention physical exhaustion construction always gave me. And she goes on to say that she agrees with Nina and she loves the Japanese pull saw too. But one of the big problems for women entering the field is the way the tools are designed. Women's hands being smaller than men's make most power tools very difficult to use, but your forearms and hands gain strength as you struggle and if you persevere you will succeed no shame in buying the 14.4 volt drill instead of the ubiquitous 18 volt if you're swinging that thing over your head and hanging off a stud wall 10 hours a day it's got to be comfortable she says i could go on and on but you've made me so happy with your work i'm a longtime listener and now my nine-year-old daughter is a fan too
2: so thank you so much jessica Well, I've got a letter here from Matt, also about our episode with Carpenter plus writer Nina McLaughlin, and he writes, Thanks for the wonderful podcast. I've had my eyes open to so much I'd never have considered it all before I started listening. I was delighted to hear your last episode about woodwork. Nina's story sounds very familiar. I, too, found out I love woodwork more than my web development day job after going on a brief training course at a local castle. And, yes, I did not misspeak. He said a local castle. (laughs) Matt, I have a million follow-up questions for you now. Anyway... Just a shout-out, if any listeners are thinking about trying this, I would highly recommend Paul Sellers' online video tutorials. He is a true gentleman and highly skilled. He is dedicating his later life to training people in hand-tool woodwork and strongly encourages ladies and children to the craft. He's recently found the Internet can help him in this endeavor, and perhaps your listeners would like to try some of the free videos he supplies or read his extensive blog on the topic of woodwork. So Matt says you can go to paulsellers.com for his blog or woodworkingmasterclasses.com for his online classes. Keep up the great work. I look forward to being educated through many more episodes. Well, thanks, Matt, for the recommendations. And thanks to everyone who's written in to us. stuff at HowStuffWorks.com is our email address. And for links to all of our social media, as well as all of our blogs, videos, and podcasts, including this one, with links so you can follow Raquel, head on over to StuffMomNeverToldYou.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.
5: Hi, I'm Allie Wentworth. How do I grow a teenager in a pandemic? Well, that's exactly what I want to find out. In my new podcast, Go Ask Allie, I'm asking experts to help me answer that question. For example, are quarantine teenage girls more apt to Instagram nude photos? Are they somehow going to end up on the dark web? Are teenagers getting ripped off by their new virtual education? And how do we deal with their overwhelming anxiety and uncertainty? And are they losing empathy? I'll be talking to experts and friends like my friend Brooke Shields. She'll reveal how her complicated sexual upbringing has influenced how she is as a mother to teenage girls. It's a new world, and how we raise these young humans in it determine our future. So let's share some real experiences with all new episodes releasing every other Thursday. Listen to Go Ask Ali on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: In this time of pandemic and revolution, do you find yourself frustrated at high levels of corruption and inequality, at our inability to get basic things done, at the persistence of systemic racism? You're not alone. I'm Baratunde Thurston, author, activist, and comedian. Our democratic experiment is at a tipping point, but which way we tip is up to us. Listen to How to Citizen with Baratunde on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts,
0: or wherever you listen to podcasts.